Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 41st Best Picture winner, Oliver. Oliver is a 1968 British musical directed by Carol Reed and based on the stage musical by the same name, which is, of course, based on the book by uh, Charles Dickens called Oliver Twist. I would have never have guessed it. No, no idea. Um, <laughs> it stars Ron Moody, Oliver Reed, Harry Seacombe, Shani Wallace, uh, Mark Lester, and Jack Wilde. The British Film Institute ranks it as the 77th greatest British film of the 20th century. It was filmed mostly with young unknowns, uh, which includes Mark Lester, who was Oliver, Shani Wallace, who was Nancy, and Jack Wilde, who was the Artful Dodger. It was nominated for Best Director, which Carol Reed won. Ron Moody was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role. He plays Fagin. Jack Wilde, who plays Dodger, was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. It was nominated for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay. Nominated for Best Cinematography, won for Best Musical Adaptation Score, uh, which I don't think still exists. They might call it something different now, or it just might not exist anymore. It won for Best Art Direction, which I definitely see. Oh, yeah. Won for Best Sound. Phyllis Dalton was nominated for Costume Design, and it was also nominated for Editing. Ona White also received an honorary Oscar for her choreography. I as so as much as I personally found this film to just be okay, I actually am on board with every single thing that it was nominated for, especially the acting noms. Yeah, yeah, it picked out the people who I definitely thought did the best job. For sure. <laughs> um I think we'll go into it more on watch notes. I feel like on paper and conceptually, I actually don't have an issue with this movie as like being an Oscar winner or the type of movie to win an Oscar, I had some issues with the overall execution, mainly the tone. Yeah, I could agree with that. It it deals with a lot of very heavy stuff in a very kind of tongue-in-cheek way that I was surprised to see. Now, granted, the source material, like, the source material is what it is, so that's probably something whoa, to do whoa, with whoa, it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Careful, do not knock Dickens. <laughs> I mean the, the point in time, not like the source material being bad. Have you have you ever read any Dickens? Uh probably. <laughs> that answer is yeah, that answer is that. Um Dickens' books are both incredibly funny and can be incredibly dark and heartfelt, and he is a master of character, so it I do not think it is a source material issue. That being said, Oliver Twist is not one of his that I have read, but in general I do think it is more with the execution than it is the source material. Also, Ian, just because the something was written in the Victorian period does not make it bad or difficult or not a good read. Well, I wasn't trying to insinuate that. I, I just know, was yeah. trying to insinuate it was of its time. <laughs> Dickens was very progressive, actually, in a lot of his social commentary. And Oliver Twist was a big thing on that. That is a big thing with this. Um, and with the story, too, and the musical and everything is the class commentary. Mm -hmm. Talking about tone and how it dealt with some of the weightier subjects, as you were saying, it being almost a little tongue-in-cheek, it is the only winner to receive a G rating prior to winning. So a lot of, there are several Best Picture winners that, in like hindsight, once that rating system came into play, mm -hmm. were given a G rating. But Oliver is the first one that had it like out the gate. 
interesting. Was that just because that's when they started rating films? <laughs> I don't know exactly what year it came into effect. The PG-13 did not exist yet. Gotcha. Okay. It was the last musical to win until Chicago in 2003, which honestly, I'm okay having a little break from musicals. Um, they've not, for the most part, been among my favorite of the movies we've watched. Well, and I'm trying to think of other musicals of this style or that would have been able to be as popular and I can't really come up with any like the first one that comes to mind is Rocky Horror Picture Show which is not a best picture nom (laughs) no and that's that's a cult classic it would not have been as popular exactly a couple interesting things not about Oliver about but about the Academy Awards from that year so it was the first time that there was a tie for best actress so Katherine Hepburn won for The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand won for Funny Girl. Katherine Hepburn also became the second actress and third performer ever to win two acting Oscars in a row. So Louise Reiner, who won uh, for The Great Ziegfeld in 1936 and then The Good Earth in 1937 and then Spencer Tracy, who won for Captain's Courageous in 1937 and Boys Town in 1938. Hepburn had won the previous year for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Other nominees from this year, Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, which is absolutely phenomenal and which I would give the Oscar to over Oliver, Rachel, Rachel, and then Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, which I would also give the Oscar over Oliver. (laughs) It's been a while, but I actually have seen that version of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Last note before we jump into watch notes. So Mark Lester, again, who plays Oliver, was actually dubbed by John Green's daughter, Kathy. John Green was the person who arranged all the music for the movie. Okay, I'm so glad I wasn't just going crazy when I was like, this voice is not this child's voice. (laughs) Well, apparently they had like multiple, they had like a couple other like young boys who they were planning to use as the dub for Oliver's singing voice, Mm -hmm. but they decided that like neither of those kids' voices like fit the look of the character. So they used hers. I guess they were going for that like angelic sweet child thing, but like it, it's a weird like I don't know. Like I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that particular dub. Like you can just tell it's a dub. Yeah, and I'm. I think it was the the song about who's gonna buy my roses, which I yeah. love that song. But he, it just didn't fit with the way that he looked, and it was so. I don't know. I can. It just didn't fit. No, I don't think that Mark Lester's great at lip syncing. I think that's a big thing. Um, But I like his performance otherwise. Like, I like his performance when he's given dialogue. I think he gives, like, some very good little puppy dog eyes when they're needed. That's for sure. I think my main main thing with the way that they kind of played Oliver in, in this adaptation, at least, is he seems like such a puppet. And I didn't like that. (laughs) I think he's just, like, a very sweet kid who's like a little sheltered but considering his um beginnings you would think maybe he shouldn't be quite that sheltered exactly Um, he's seen some some dark shit um but i think i realized kind of what encapsulates what i mean when i say that the tone of this movie doesn't fit and that is the fact that the title is oliver with an exclamation point i hate the exclamation point 
what was the point of the exclamation point, Maggie? There was none. (laughs) It shouldn't be there. It's too peppy for the dark subject matter of this movie because the movie starts in like a children's workhouse, which is, I mean, the sets are incredible. So you have this like great set with this giant like wheel that I guess is like milling corn or something. And you have all these boys in like rags, like walking it kind of like it's a stairmaster to turn the wheel. Oh my God. And then you see almost into the food, glorious food, the main mess hall there with the God is love above the door. <laughs> it's so perfect. So like that to me, that little touch right there with the God is love, like that is such a Dickens thing. Like that encapsulates a Dickens vibe. That's like, look at the hypocrisy of the situation and the ridiculousness of it. And I just wish they had leaned into that more Mm -hmm. and like any because there's several points in this where like the humor gets very slapstick in a way that I think is inappropriate to the story that's being told and I wish they'd gone more for a dark humor than a Mm -hmm. silly humor that they sometimes go for well I would say often go for (laughs) often and there's only really one place where it really worked for me that I'll point out when we get there sounds good yeah so we talked about the sets but also food glorious food is actually pretty fun at least i think it is i liked the choreography a lot i thought Mm -hmm. that that song was good not every song in this one's a banger (laughs) but uh oh i'm with you there's there's a few there's a few this was one of them and and i do also i know in um i think it was my fair lady there was a lot that we picked apart for being too stagey and not using the film medium well. And I think Oliver actually does play into the film medium very, yes. very, very well. In this I scene. agree. I definitely, I like the cinematography a lot more because I did compare this one in my mind a lot to My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Oliver's definitely better. I think the cinematography is better. I think the choreographer's the choreography, oh, the choreography is, is like so out of this better. world. <laughs> well, first off, the choreography exists. And second, it's so much better. Um, I think in general, the acting is so much better. I think the characters are better and more likable and more one-dimensional and make more more multi-dimensional, less one-dimensional, more multi-dimensional. And they make more sense and their motivations make more sense and the story Mm -hmm. is just better. I have to say that with Food Glorious Food, I did like the way it was shot and I thought this this choreography was really good and the cinematography was really good. With that song... I did still think like this would still look super impressive on stage. Like this could still potentially be more impressive on stage if you were able to get a set like that. That's kind of how I tried to judge that for a lot of the numbers Mm -hmm. is I'm like, would I be more awed by this sitting in a theater than I am on my couch? That is not the case with every single number. There are definitely numbers where they take advantage of like being able to get in on the close up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that or like being able to move through a location in a way that you probably couldn't on a stage set well and that's where even in food glorious food well it's it's after food glorious food it's when oliver actually asks for more when he's able to scramble around we get to see him like underneath the table that and that view kind of to your point is something that we wouldn't have gotten in a stage production so i don't know i think they used the set very effectively in addition to it being fun in a very dark way (laughs) no i agree they they one they have amazing sets and then two they use them because that was something with my fair lady is we're like they have these really grand sets but like they're not doing a whole lot with them like they're just kind of there yeah exactly 
Speaking of which, we do get the very famous, uh, please, sir, I want some more. Because Oliver draws the short straw, literally, or the long straw, actually. The knotted straw. (laughs) Um, And the Mr. Bumble and whatever her name is, who's like the matron of the workhouse, freak out about this. And they have a song or I think is the then that he's like chased around or something, or do they sing their really terrible song first? The one about Oliver? Yeah, I think it's the song Oliver. And I literally, my note is, oof, that song it is not good. Yeah, it's it's pretty not. I think the the reason that I don't like it is the way the chorus, it's, it's honestly tonally how the chorus progresses. Like it's just not a very pleasing it's tune. not a good tune. The lyrics also like kind of suck. I did like how it ended, though, with uh, the matron, as you put it, knocking on the general's door after basically saying that Mr. Bumble was getting at his hide tanned for interrupting. <laughs> the, it's like the council's door or something. It's the, the whoever the high up people are who like run the workhouse and are probably benefiting from all of this child labor. I mean, again, it's a very happy time on this great earth. God. <laughs> Um, which we did also there wait there was one shot in food glorious food with the kids looking Mm -hmm. through the window and seeing like the feast that those people were having and that was something where i was like okay yeah like this you could not do on stage and i love the way they're doing it and using it oliver is rounded up and he is kicked out of the workhouse of course because he just wanted to have more food and then we get this very solemn chanty boy for sale which one, what? Boy for sale? Okay. But also, two, was kind of a beautiful dirge. I actually really liked that song, and I thought that one was tonally appropriate, because it's Mr. Bumble walking Oliver through the snow and basically just singing, like, boy for sale, and then the price keeps going down because he's just trying to get rid mm-hmm. of him. Um, historically inaccurate, what would have actually happened is that workhouses would have either just kicked the boy to the streets, or they would have paid someone to take him on as an apprentice. Which then he would not have really received anything for his labor and could have potentially been treated very poorly. But he would not have been just like sold. The government would have paid somebody else to take him (laughs) off their hands. Is that better? That's how that would have gone. I don't know. Don't know. (laughs) Again, exploiting the poor and underprivileged. And and to like delve into the song a little bit, um, I think one part that I really loved is the kind of hymn-like moving line underneath this very chanting boy for sale that's kind of in these long tones so i don't know about you but i got chills and i know you're gonna give me crap about getting chills since i do that <laughs> i didn't get chills but i did think like oh i actually really like this this is beautiful and i don't make fun of you for getting chills at beautiful music ian i make fun of you for shoving your arm in people's faces and being like look face. at my goosebumps <laughs> that's what i make fun of you for uh that is a a plus of social distancing you cannot do that to me anymore you're correct watch me send you a photo of chills on my arm blocked <laughs> as a immediately virtual. just on principle <laughs> oliver is taken on or bought i guess in this case by an undertaker which they set up as initially looking really kind of like sinister as he looks out but i was like hey oliver is going to be learning a trade that is going to be a steady trade he's insured employment so i was like this could actually be a shot turns out undertaker not that bad although we do find out he's a drunk but uh the kids who work for him 
really shitty, although we're never given any reason why they are shitty or why they just immediately hate Oliver. Or who they are even. Like, are they the children of the Undertaker? Are they just other people that were brought in from the street? Like, They're just employees, I think, because they are named, but their names are not the same as the Undertaker. I'm sure in Dickens' novel, that segment is much more fleshed out. Yeah, they kind of breezed through it, though I did like some of the comedy that they threw in with the coffin. And Okay, that was when the comedy worked for me, <laughs> was when the kid insults Oliver's mother, who Oliver never really knew um, because she uh, died in childbirth, I think is what they imply. And then he has like a locket from her. That I don't I didn't even know about the locket until literally the very end. I don't know when it was introduced. I think it's introduced earlier, but I don't know exactly when. But anyway, the kid insults his mom. Oliver starts beating up the kid, which I was like, I don't buy that teeny tiny little Oliver can beat up this teenager. So that was a little weird to me. And then the teenager does a bunch of like and he can do anything. Well, (laughs) they like can't catch Oliver. The mom and the like the wife of the Undertaker and the other girl who works there like can't subdue Oliver initially. He like knocks over a coffin and then they go like they send the teenage boy to like go get Mr. Bumble or whatever. And he has like the stupid slapstick stuff of like falling in the snow. And there's like a weird like comedy track under him, which I was like, this is not working for me. But then they get Oliver in the coffin and they're all sitting on top of the coffin. <laughs> Cause they're scared Mr. of him. And it, Right. he's like a tiny child he's so tiny but then mr bumble gets here and that's the part where i laughed is when bumble is speaking to oliver through the coffin and you just hear oliver's little muffled voice and he's like oliver behave and oliver's like no yeah his indignancy while he's like trapped like what are you gonna do kid <laughs> i like that i loved and i thought it was funny and i liked seeing that spirit from oliver like that that made me happy. So like that scene is where I really thought they like did okay with the comedy, but pretty much any other time that they tried to be funny, I was like not here for it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of there's some of the stuff when it, at Fagan's place later that I was actually on board with from kind of like a physical comedy perspective and the way that F- Fagan moves, but it's like not the same. Yeah, like it like those weren't like moments to me where I was like oh they're playing it for comedy but I think that's because of Ron Moody and Jack Wilde's performances as Fagin and Dodger Mm -hmm. because they still like while they were maybe doing some on the surface humorous choreography I don't think either of them ever let us forget what the actual situation was in that setting Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it read better yeah I well We'll talk about more when we get there, but I'm, I'm with you on that. So Oliver gets put in the cellar and sings, uh, what is it? The uh, Where is Love? Yeah, while well, he's surrounded by all those coffins. And so while I enjoyed the contrasting imagery, <laughs> I really don't like this song and it went on for way too long. It was a long song. And it reaches a climax and then keeps going. Did you notice that? It's like they go... F- they almost went for the high note and then backed off. I remember so little of that song, honestly. Like, it just, it was kind of forgettable. I thought, like, Mark Lester did, like, a good job being a sad kid. But I can only take so much of that. 
I think he does well in a close-up. I think he's able to like hide the sadness behind his eyes in a very effective way. But yes, the song went on too long. I remember just being like, okay, I get it. Let's go. Let's go. You're sad. Let's, and he escapes to London. Yay. To make his fortune, Ian. What, what a precocious little child. He's so positive. All of, <laughs> not all, but pretty much all of Dickens' uh, heroes or heroines at some point or another flee to London, then meet a wealthy benefactor. Whether or not that wealthy benefactor makes it to them in time for them to survive is another question and very dependent on the story. But <laughs> Well, I'm glad this one in- ended the way it did. Um, so Oliver getting to London, I th- this whole scene in Consider Yourself at Home, like from Oliver getting there through that number, was so engaging to me. I thought that number was too long. They needed to cut it a little bit. Okay, so yeah, like they got to the fish market and I was like, okay, we didn't need the fish market. Then they got to the circus and I was like, I really didn't need a circus. It's the interlude. <laughs> I think it's the interlude right before the fish market because the fish market is where they like go down that slide and mm-hmm. it's that like just musical interlude right before the fish market that goes on for like three minutes or something that I was like, I'm I'm done with this. Like, let's let's wrap this up because the choreography during that number's phenomenal oh my gosh the one that stands out is like the butcher with the pig parts that they're just like throwing across in unison while all the women kind of like dance down the middle and i'm just like it's so good i think i read that it took like three weeks or something to film that whole number and all of that was soundstage everything for this was soundstage whoa because they had those massive really intricate sets they had to do like you you can't do film that on a london an actual london street (laughs) Yeah, but I was still thinking, like, you could film snippets of it not in a soundstage. <laughs> no, because they're filming, like, huge segments of that dance number all at once. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, they, anyway, like each it, of those dance segments was probably filmed individually for the most part. But, like, each of those big segments would have to be, like, happening. Um, but it, Oliver meets Dodger. Mm-hmm. And Dodger, His- like, swipes something from a baker and, like, offers it to Oliver and, like, very much, like, makes friends with him. But it's very clear that Oliver is not fully, not fully in tune with what Dodger's actually doing. He's the stereotypical small town boy, like, eyes blinded by the big city. <laughs> oh, here's my one thing with the cinematography. <laughs> they could have leaned into shadows more. They did not fully utilize the effect of good shadows, which this movie would have been perfect for. I think parts of it in Fagin's place they used, but spare. Yeah, it wasn't enough. I, I think they could have done more. And I think it would have, it would have done a lot for the atmosphere. But yeah, I, I really did like that introduction to Dodger. Dodger's my favorite I loved, character. again, he, he's probably one of the... Him, I'm torn between him and Nancy, like Nancy but too. Nancy, I have, she's a good character. She's so and tragic, good, And I am so sad that she's in the situation she's in. Yep. She's a very tragic character. I feel like Dodger, I like him because he's fun and doesn't feel as tragic. That's for sure. And he can sort of take care of himself. Yeah. Which is nice. Moving into Fagin's place, I love the stark difference between the scene before with Consider Yourself at Home and this like 
dingy, broken down, swampy back alley. The set around Fagin's place and the tavern with all of the scaffolding Mm -hmm. is just incredible. Especially the tavern. I kind of would like to go to that tavern and drink if it weren't in Victorian London. (laughs) (laughs) If it weren't like also like the super bad part of Victorian London. I mean that too. Oliver is kind of introduced to the other boys and we have a phenomenal character introduction with Fagin where he's kind of in this back room and he just appears out of like this smoke from where he's cooking. Yes. And I think, so I think Ron Moody does a really good job of balancing that sinisterness with Fagin because there's parts of it that are like over the top and kind of forcefully cheerful when he's interacting with the kids Mm -hmm. but then you get especially when he's interacting with like bill and nancy or when you just get a little bit of fagin by himself you see like the seriousness and like a little bit of meanness but also a a, like sadness that like yeah he's not happy with what he's doing well and it's also based on kind of how he talks about who's going to take care of him in his old age and the way he hoards all of this treasure i get the impression that it's a kind of lonely longing situation here because literally he's surrounded by like kids probably doesn't get to interact with much with adults but there's also right after they sing uh pick a pocket which we're going to kind of gloss over this song, but the choreography, like, watch it with, like, him. He's got, like, the watch and, like, handkerchiefs and stuff in his pockets, and all of the kids are having to, like, pick his pockets without him catching them. Which, after that song, I was like, Oliver, how do you still not get it? They, like, straight up sang a song about picking pockets, and you're like, so you make wallets, huh? Oh, my God. Bless his, uh, bless little, his little eight or nine-year-old heart. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the bit where Fagin like shows Oliver where like he can sleep and Fagin mm-hmm. talks to Oliver for a bit and does a very soft reprise of uh, pick a pocket or two. And there's like a look on his face that he knows he is lying to this child and he's like mm-hmm. sad about it. But that that adds it makes Fagin the villain still, but a villain that you kind of are like. Do you really want to be doing what you're doing? It makes him a real person. Yeah. It definitely adds a layer to Fagin, which I will say I feel like Fagin, Nancy, Dodger, and to some extent Bill Sykes all have multiple layers to them. I think Bill is the least multidimensional of all of them. I would agree, but he's got just enough to make him a very interesting villain. Or he's it's more of other people's reactions to him. The fact that you have like three very layered characters reacting mm-hmm. to him that I think makes him still very interesting. Yeah, and I would say some of his reactions when he's on the job with Oliver too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's I would say of those four, he's the least dimensional, but he still has like a little something to him. Yeah. So all of the boys are now asleep. Fagin is stealing away into the night. Which one? If you were trying to be inconspicuous. Why is that how you decide to run out of your house? It's also very obvious that he's not because one of the boys wakes up and locks the door behind him. Well, I feel like that was the one trusted door boy. Oh, I feel like it was a kid just being like, God damn it, Fagin. <laughs> trying to sleep over here. But we, um, he ends up at the tavern. We get introduced to Beth. this one woman who I don't 
It's Bet. It's Bet. Nancy's okay. younger sister. Oh, that's their relationship. Okay. She's like roasting chestnuts or something. Yeah, I think um, she's her younger sister. Maybe I just always assumed that. But she is connected to Nancy. The introduction to Bill in this point. Also really good. And here's yes. where they used a good shadow. They did. Because you can see up the path that Fagin came to the, the tavern in, just this kind of light of a street lamp or maybe the moon. I, it's mm-hmm. probably the moon. It was too cool of a light to be a street lamp of the era. Um, and Fagin's shadow just kind of like, comes into focus as he walks Bill's shadow oh you're right Bill's shadow I'm sorry (laughs) Fagin's watching Fagin's shadow is not there (laughs) Bill's shadow just comes up on the wall and then you have Bet and Fagin's immediate reactions of like stop that you're like oh dangerous character and they like referenced Bill Sykes before in Pick a Pocket Mm -hmm. where he's like if you kids are good enough you'll become like a Bill Sykes and so Bill shows up with his dog which that dog is so cute Oh, Bullseye. He's so cute. I love Bullseye. He's so adorable. He's got a little scar on his forehead. And his like rump. He's been in a fight. It's he's so such cute. A, such a good puppers. Um, anyway, so Bill shows up. He does the thing where he's taking all this stuff out of his pockets just wordlessly and handing so it to Fagan. So absurd. I loved it because it was like a clown car. But they played this one okay. Honestly, I could have done with a little bit less of it. But they're yeah, he's taking out like an entire teapot and stuff. And you're like, where could he have this hidden? Just the pot, the entire set. <laughs> but because Oliver Reed is so just intense and stony-faced as he does it, and Ron Moody as Fagin is so like still clearly scared of him, mm-hmm. you never lose that sinisterness to it, even though like this is utterly ridiculous oh see i thought it was darkly humorous see that's why i'm okay with it that's why i'm okay with this one because it's not somebody slipping and falling through the snow like an idiot while a comedy track goes underneath it's something (laughs) ridiculous happening between two people who are clearly very dangerous yes for sure and so it's very clear that nancy after they're done with this she uh she comes out and greets them they come in. They She's a... watching with her hands on her hips in the yeah, background because yeah, yeah. you can see her fuzzily in the background. Well, and she knows what's going on. Like, Oh, yeah. And I loved the song that came up next, which was The the Small Pleasures. I um, did not like this song. Oh, but it's just so... It hit home for me right now because what do I have to take pleasure in right now but the small pleasures? <laughs> like a drink. Your situation is not in any way it is similar to way. Nancy's. And that's why I didn't like the song is because I didn't think it was serious enough for the shitty situation they're in. Mm. And I'm going to make... Oh, wait. This was the one where they're talking about being beaten by their husbands. I take yeah, everything I said back. Yeah, this is one where they back. say something about spousal abuse or domestic violence. And um, it's just glossed over super lightly. But because the song is so upbeat and it's like never addressed in a super meaningful way ever again i mean like some very awful domestic violence stuff happens which like i guess we should trigger warning for that we probably should have done that earlier but trigger warning um on domestic violence and domestic abuse for this movie um but it's just like that song i didn't like it's one stanza and it's like a super upbeat song and like i don't i just didn't like that song it didn't feel totally appropriate and i will give an example of a song that is Tune-wise, fairly upbeat for most of it, and that is fairly comedic in a musical, 
but also I think is appropriately dark and sets up villains appropriately. And that is Master of the House in La Mis. Very similar situation. Actually, there were a lot of parallels between Oliver and La Mis where I was like, La Mis did it better. <laughs> and this is Maggie's thesis on why Les Mis. <laughs> it's the no, best I'm musical ever. I, I do. I liked Les Mis more than this. Although I would say that Oliver, even up at this point, was better than expected. It was better than My Fair Lady. I'd seen this before, and I definitely distinctly remember at one point looking at my mother as we were watching this and going, why isn't this better? Oh. So I did try and come into it with an open mind because I remembered some very specific segments from it, but I did not remember a lot of stuff for the end. And like I, like I think we've pointed out, there are some things that they do well, and then I think there are just in general some stuff that's not done well. And I yeah. think the general peppiness of a lot of the background music and a lot of the songs and a lot of the score is not always appropriate to what's happening or the general themes of the source material. Yeah. So Nancy and Bill walk off and Fagin returns home after not paying Bill. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll pay him tomorrow. Which his reasoning, I was like, fair, but also really? Because <laughs> he didn't want to carry cash around at night. And I'm like, well, and he's like, it takes me time to like fence this stuff because Fagin's the fence. Mm-hmm. And so fair, but still, we get a very telling scene. And this is kind of where some of my references about like who will take care of me my whole old age that Fagin has come out because he pulls out his like treasure trove from the wall, has his talk with his owl buddy, which <laughs> how how does he just have a pet owl in his This uh, is a place? good scene. I really liked it because it showed, again, how Fagin does kind of have this human side to him. Although his almost full-on attack of Oliver for Oliver just happening to catch some of the stuff that Fagin is showing. I was just like, really? I thought that was a little overdone. And I feel like it would have been better if instead Fagin like had sweet talked him. Instead yeah. of like lashing out, like I understand he was startled and everything, but I think it would have been better and a little bit more like Fagin-y to like misdirect instead of like almost attack Oliver. Exactly. Because he, he, throughout this whole, I don't know how much it's come up at this point, but I do know later in the film too, Fagin's always the like, don't resort to violence. All of the like, we're here to, to steal, but not to maim and murder. Um so yeah. I agree that that would have been more in line with his character. Next morning, Nancy and Bill have a moment where we're like, why are you still with Bill? I think that is the one thing about Bill's character is I never got any hint or inclination as to why Nancy was with him in the first place. Because mm-hmm. he's just grumpy and tired when she's cooking him breakfast. Like that is the entirety of that scene in my mind. Yeah. Which... There's nothing redeeming about that. And she even like looks back at him when she's leaving with fondness. And I'm like, Nancy, what's going on, honey? Well, like they establish very much that like Nancy knows that Bill is bad and she knows that it is very dangerous for her to be with him, but she she still loves him. Mm -hmm. But I never understood like why, because obviously there was something about the relationship that Nancy felt she was getting. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there was obviously at least initially something positive for her that's like why she fell in love with him Mm -hmm. 
but I we never got any hint as to what that would have been. Like we never got any hint or line or even scene where Bill was at all nice to her. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form. And so I think it would have been nice to see something like that because I mean, obviously with Nancy's entire situation, like she's in an abusive relationship, like she doesn't want to leave because she loves him. She's also scared to leave. Like he's a very violent man. It's very well established. Mm -hmm. So like you understand why she hasn't left, but I also just wanted to know why she was there to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it would have fleshed that out a little bit more and made those stakes a little bit higher. I I mean, it wouldn't have made anything that happens to Nancy any more or less tragic. I just think it would have been nice because it would have been a little bit more dimension for her character. And it also would have been a little bit more dimension for Bill Sykes's character. Like it just Mm -hmm. would have fleshed out the whole situation a little bit more. Yeah. So she leaves and goes to Fagan to get the payment for all the stuff that Fagan's supposed to be fencing. The musical number with them doing anything for her for a kiss. I like this number. And so well choreographed. It's a good song. The tune's good. The lyrics are good. It's very, it's peppy, but like this one I feel like is appropriately peppy because obviously all the kids love Nancy and Nancy's yeah, it's a like good relationship puppy with all love the kids. thing going on. Yeah, it's really cute. And so uh, you have the choreography with like um, the other boys pretending to be like the horse and carriage with like the mm-hmm. parasols as the wheels and the as like dodgers skip. pretending to drive. Yeah, yeah it's drive. so good. Yeah, I, lo- I really love that song. Um, and of course, you have Fagin coming in at the end as like Bette and Nancy are talking to Oliver. And you also establish that like both of them are very drawn to Oliver and they can tell he's like a very sweet kid mm-hmm. who doesn't necessarily belong in this world, which I think is very important for motivations later in the film. For sure. Because I will say they are pretty good with motivation in this film. I w- Everybody's motivations pretty much always make sense for their character. Mm-hmm. But you have Fagin singing about like, you know, what is it? Would you basically like, would you risk getting caught and hanging for me? And the kids are like, anything. <laughs> well, and it's, the way, it's dark. And the way Ron Moody moves in this scene is like it, it adds this kind of creepy dimension to it. I noticed it earlier when he was kind of stealing away to the tavern but i really loved how he kind of added that extra layer of weirdness and like he's always a little hunched over like he's a little bit fearful and like a little bit like skulking in the shadows even when he's like in broad daylight in his own place (laughs) but i like it it's very fitting and the way that the scene kind of ends is with nancy getting payment and basically getting more payment than fagan wanted to actually pay her so i kind of love that she could play fagan a little bit because it yeah again softened him a bit for me because before like Im- immediately when i had first seen him um i thought it it was very sinister um but again he's like i hate to say benevolent because he's not benevolent no um Who's just asking a bunch of street urchins if they'd risk the drop. Exactly. But he doesn't want to himself physically harm them. So Fagin's Fagin's not the most villainous villain in this this story. For sure. But I agree. I like any time that you add some sort of layer, especially in a movie like this that is kind of being um 
a social commentary or that is based on source material that is very much a social commentary, adding a layer to a character like that, that is more of like a, oh, this person isn't just doing this because they're just a terrible human being that's awful. But like this person's doing this because a series of events in their life have led them to this point. Mm -hmm. So Nancy leaves, the boys go out to start pickpocketing. And the song that they had here. Well, yes. And apparently Dodger is like taking him under his wing. They're going. But I didn't really need the song here about we'll be back soon. No. This was one of a couple numbers where I was kind of like, it could have been edited or nixed. Well, it's especially bad because we just got a really good number. Mm -hmm. So we're like, eh. Well, and they did that with Oliver on the back end of Food Glorious Food. Mm-hmm. where you kind of rolled from a really great engaging tune to something that was just meh to bad. Yeah. At least in my mind. I agree. Um, but they're out picking. I really did like the setup to Oliver getting quote unquote caught red handed. And it comes down to how they kind of restaged the um their target in this like bright blue coat setting him off and he was kind of shopping at the bookshop and moving away and he kind of have dodger and his pal moving in for the kill a couple times but Mm -hmm. adding that extra suspense to potentially being caught i liked and then how they brought oliver in very innocently to just kind of watch i don't know it felt kind of like this perfect setup for him yeah And of course, uh, Dodger and his friend take the wallet. The man turns around and Oliver is standing right there during the headlights, which I was like, Dodger, maybe you should have like prepped him just a little bit. Yeah, like run away. Don't be there. Don't like. Well, Oliver does start running because the man assumes Oliver took his wallet and he's like, get it back. And Oliver's like, oh, have it and like runs. And then, of course, everybody chases down Oliver. There's a bit where uh, in order to avoid getting themselves caught, Dodger and I think the other kid's name is Charlie, just start pointing and running and be like, yeah, yeah, we'll help you get him. (laughs) Well, and they try to misdirect him down the wrong turn and they like put Oliver in a pig like thing. Basically a yeah. wrap for a pig carcass, which I was kind of like, ew, trying, trichinosis. Know, try, trying to get him out of there. But he's he's caught in the end. But the train scene leading up to him getting caught was glorious. Because you have the whole mob kind of looking up at this bridge that you know it's a train is coming across. train, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> Oliver's standing there as the train's coming. And you just see him duck down as the train passes over him. But he's okay. Thank goodness. We're happy he's okay. Yeah, but, but everyone in caught. the crowd thinks he's almost died. They eventually catch him. And um, you get a nice shot of the man whose wallet was stolen in the crowd, too, when he thinks that Oliver's been hit by that train. And his reaction, I think, is really good because it makes what happens later make a lot of sense. Where, like, he mm-hmm. went from being, like, mad that his wallet's taken to suddenly being, like, oh, this young boy could have lost his life. Yeah, well, and it it's showing that his priorities are not totally backwards. Right, right, exactly. That he understands that, like, maybe this kid is in a situation where he's picking pockets because, like, he has no other option. Well, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but he at least doesn't want to see a pickpocket killed. <laughs> well, no, because of what happens with the court scene, because Oliver goes to court. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because back then you would try like an eight-year-old in full court and um, they would have children often either transported, aka sent to Australia, well, originally sent to the American colonies, but then after 1776, it became sent them to Australia, or they would they would hang children or like throw them in jail forever. Awesome. Like there was there was no like juvenile, like separate juvenile system um, because the concept of like child like there was like childhood there was no like teenage concept of teenager at all but pretty much like you were expected to be held to adult standards very very young especially if you were of the lower classes why do i feel like that hasn't necessarily changed maybe because it hasn't (laughs) so Um, anyway oliver ends up at court uh with a drunk judge Yes, that Which was a is fun Hugh, touch. Played by Hugh Griffiths, <laughs> who we've definitely had in another film, but I'm trying to figure out what we've had him in. Oh, he was in Ben Hur and Tom Jones. Oh, that's why I recognized him. Yeah, he was. Um, I was like, I know that actor, and I know his face. Um, he was the Sheik in Ben Hur and Squire Western in Tom Jones. Ah, that's why the Tom Jones Squire Western is like, yes. That's that's the one, because he was also playing kind of a drunk asshole in that one, too. Anyway, Bill Sykes and Fagin are super paranoid that Oliver's going to rat them out. Dodger's like, I don't think he will. And they're like, no, he's going to rat us out. So they send Nancy to go watch the trial. And this is where you have the gentleman, I forget his name. Can you? Mr. Brownlow. Mr. Brownlow, it's here that he pleads for Oliver and Basically says like you know what I I don't th- like I think whatever sentence um, I can't remember what it is that the judge tries to pass but he's like that's too harsh like it's not that big of a deal like kind of trying to get him to lessen Oliver's sentence and then you have the um, eyewitness come forward who's like it was not this kid it was right in front of my shop I saw two other kids who did it like this kid's innocent so Thank Oliver gets goodness. let off right and Mr Brownlow offers to take him in. This is our wealthy, benevolent benefactor. Exactly. But also, I... Hey, do what you want, Mr. Brownlow. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Basically, Ian's an asshole, and he just admitted it. Well, no, it's more, I... We talk about motive... Like, you mentioned motivations, and I think Mr. Brownlow's motivations are too simplistic for me. I'm going to disagree because I believe in the fact that there are just genuinely very, very nice people out there who will sometimes do stuff that might seem above and beyond to other people uh, because they are just genuinely good people and have the resources to be able to do the good that they want to do. I also do think that the scene where Oliver almost gets hit by the train has an effect on him. I accept your reading, and I really like your thought. It makes me warm and fuzzy inside. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome for those warm fuzzies. But this is the intermission break, so... Well, you. I just wanted to point out Nancy going to talk to Fagin Dodger and Bill Sykes, who are all hiding behind a flower cart. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. (laughs) Yeah, and she's like, he didn't tell. I told you he wasn't going to tell. But they're worried that he's going to tell... After At some he's point. In, exactly. And I'm kind of like. And we're all like, can't you just leave the kid alone? <laughs> let sleeping dogs lie, number one. Number two, he is such an angelic child. Do you think he's really going to know what he saw? Also, quite frankly, the police probably not going to believe him. And even if they did, do you really think the police are going to go all the way down there on like, oh, this one kid like picked my pocket? Like the the police are probably not like super happy to like 
go hunt down Fagin right now. Like, no. that's they've got either bigger fish to fry or they don't care. Probably they don't care. <laughs> because it would it would be the police who were in the who are working the poor district who were oftentimes like very jaded. The Metropolitan Police at that time that this was set did not exactly have their shit together in the best way. So surprised. And by that, I mean not at all. Well, London was <laughs> obviously a very massive city that had been expanding extremely rapidly under the Industrial Revolution. And then you had the Victorian era idea that um, your economic status was reflective of your morality. Yeah. What a fun time. We have time. echoes of that today anyway. It's great. It's not great. Um, we do, but I like to think it's not as bad. Oh, I don't think it's as bad, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely still echoes of that. Um, so we get the intermission break here, and coming back from intermission, my f- hands-down favorite song of the entire movie from like the lyrics are are fine but like i think this is the prettiest song about who will buy my uh bright red roses is that the Mm -hmm. exact line well you Um, have an incredible juxtaposition of the view where oliver wakes up in this really nice townhouse mm -hmm. and there are these gorgeous Georgian townhouses overlooking this bright, spacious park. There are like really wide roads. Everything is like pristine and beautiful. Bright, sunny blue sky. And it's yeah. such a juxtaposition from pretty much anything we've seen for him before. And you have all of the different merchant peddler folks coming into the square and kind of adding to this chorus of voices talking about how about, what about some milk? Do you have knives that need grinding? You have all of the people coming in to wash windows and beat carpets. And like, I don't know, the, the commotion coupled with some beautiful, pretty sure it's counterpoint in in the, well, it's more sung like around, I guess I should say, um, with the different parts coming together in this really pretty harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a song I think is that that's worth listening to from, from the film. If you don't listen to all of it, at least this one. And also, I would do anything. And also food, glorious food. <laughs> um, but it ends with a parade, which I thought was pretty insane. There's a lot of parades in this movie. Yeah. I could have dropped a couple of them. I mean, this is another song that while I did enjoy it, it did Went go on, on for, for so longer long. than I expected. Um, but we end with a scene, not a scene, but you a You get two of- verses, you get a build, and then you get a final <laughs> verse, and that is the golden spot for songs. Well, this is way past it. <laughs> That's like the golden spot for like, mo- I'm going to say for most songs. <laughs> <laughs> so they we end that whole sequence um, with a view of Bill and Nancy sitting on a bench. Looking real out of place. And I was like, you know, the rich people in that neighborhood would have called the cops on them. Oh, yeah. Well, and you saw the prancing cops earlier in the musical number. They're yeah. right there. Yeah. Come on. Be I was less like, conspicuous. There's, there's no way. There's no way they're okay being in that neighborhood. And so they found Oliver. So they're going back to Fagan to tell Fagan and the group where this kid is. They're very intent on getting him back. I really, like, they, they could just disappear into London. They really could. Like, it it would not be that hard at that time. And the part that also kills me about this scene is Bill 
actually getting physical with Nancy. Because Nancy's adamant at this point where she's like, leave him alone. And Bill's like, no, I'm like, we're we're going to bring him back and like makes like a low key threat at Oliver and Nancy's standing up to him. And that's when he gets physical and gets violent with her. And Fagin's kind of mm-hmm. trying to be that like little bit of peacekeeper where he's just trying to like slide in between them and be like, oh, no, 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 like it's it's fine. But he's too scared of Bill to like actually do anything meaningful. And Nancy's not backing down on this because she's kind of finally found the thing where she's going to draw a line. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we said, she's obviously very aware of like the stealing and how they make their money and mm-hmm. how they live and everything. Because of course, why wouldn't she be? She also has to live, but she's like, this is where I'm drawing the line. And when Bill, it, does Bill throw her down? Is that what he? He slaps her, and it's the worst stage slap I've ever seen. Well, I the slap happens, but he slaps her, and she like goes. But down. the reaction of all of the boys was perfect because it is the audience saying like that shit really just happened and we're not okay with it and they're just like in stunned silence when i think it really sets up what a villain bill is because Mm -hmm. you're within this entire room filled with criminals he is clearly the one that is the worst he is the one who is violent he is the one who will hit people who will threaten to kill people who will later actually deliver on that threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important juxtaposition of like this, this guy is a different level. Yeah. He's beyond petty pickpocketing. Yeah. He's legitimately scary. Bill storms out, obviously. And then we get Nancy's song about he needs me, which I was, I was like, like, Nancy, honey, run after that. But then of course you realize that's probably not the first time that's happened. And it's no. super sad because we re- Nancy's so likable. <sighs> she is. And the well, actress does an amazing job of making her really likable. Not that that is okay. Even if she wasn't likable. I do think Shani Wallace did a, a bang up job acting through this song. Um, Cause you, you feel those emotions like right in your chest. Yeah. So moving kind of into the next bit, we know that they're going after Oliver. We cut to a scene where Oliver is like, here, Mr. Brownlow. Brownlow. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I was about to say Barry Weather. That's no. not <laughs> Brownlow. <laughs> um, he, Oliver is offering to take some books back, you know, pay, I, I believe pay for some other ones to yeah. bring back. All alone. And I'm like, do not do it. I know it's about to happen. I know with our 20th century sensibilities where we're like, don't let your eight-year-old walk into the city by themselves. They can do some things by themselves, but not right. walk downtown. Not walk into the city. To yeah. <laughs> to um, Victorian London. <laughs> but uh, you also have the moment where Brownlow looks at that portrait in his house. And it's, mm-hmm. what was it? His niece? It's a portrait of his niece. Yes. And he kind of looks at Oliver and we're... There's like some resemblance there. Foreshadowing? Question mark. But we do have Oliver get a scene of him walking down. He's kind of seeing this like very violent Punch and Judy-ish show there um, with the puppets. Yeah. And runs into Nancy, who of course he's like happy to see. She basically directs him down the alley and into the covered wagon that Bill swipes him into. Mm-hmm. My heart broke. I know. The entire time. But I do love that in this scene, Oliver does flat out slap Bill. Like, ballsy move. (laughs) 
It, yeah. The great well, and that see. was a full on like twisted your whole body and put it. Your, I mean, Oliver's a small kid, but yeah. <laughs> he put his all into this slap. And I love it. Love it. But this is another piece where you start to see Bill again getting more villainous and more violent because he's about to take off his belt and like whip the living daylights out of this child. He's, he's going to beat him, like just yeah. straight up beat him. Nancy, of course, tries to get in the way. Fagin tries to get in the way to stop all of this from going down. And I just... Uh, he exits and the dog walks out. And I'm like, why does so this they, dog they do follow effectively this stop it? Well, I... So I... It makes me wonder if, like, Bill is actually generally very nice to the dog. And that's supposed to be, like, the one thing that Bill actually cares about and loves. Which would mm-hmm. add more dimension to his character. But they never fully go there mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah i regardless bill bill is a scumbag yeah for sure that is never the in dispute time. they all leave we get a reviewing the situation song from fagan which is the second of the two songs that i was like eh you're like we know, know the situation <laughs> but we're very aware of the situation exactly and interesting thing here i did do like a, a smidgen of reading um and it was odd to me that all of his tunes kind of had that fiddler on the roof like style to them and did not realize that a lot of Fagin's they're a little like, klezmery that's the right word right ma- it's maybe klezmer, klezmer? it's it's got a um, I don't know for sure it's a specific type of minor scale klezmer oh it's um musical tradition of Ashkenazi Jews of Eastern Europe, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yeah, I did not realize, but like a lot of his portrayal is problematic and it's kind of like insinuation that he is Jewish and kind of putting forth some of those stereotypes. And I'm kind of sad that I didn't see that until like this point. But yeah, that portrayal... We're at the time period where they're not going to do that type of stereotype outright. Right. But they will code it in other ways. Um, I still think that Ron Moody kills the portrayal, and I don't think there's anything that he does in his performance Mm -hmm. that feels stereotypical. I would say anything that is stereotypical is with production or music, I feel like, that's like kind of coding that. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. felt the same way. There may have been stuff I didn't pick up on. I mean, some of the... Well, it's it's the difference between what he has to do as part of the character as written versus the things he doesn't necessarily have to do as written. So like the, the the scene that I think of really heavily is that first night when he's going through his box of jewels. Um, but like he didn't go over the top. Well, I would say though, I, I think that char- that would work like that scene would work no matter the character's background. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the, I feel like it's the music that does it. I feel like it's the music that makes it feel wrong. Like I said, though, there could definitely be things that I am not picking up on. Well, yeah, and it, it's, again, in the context of the whole film is really right, how, right. how it comes home. So, but yeah, that, that was a song that I kind of was like, eh. It gets a nice reprise near the very end, but I didn't need it. Don't, don't, I don't feel like it moved Fagin's character or the plot. So. Agreed. 
Anyway. It kind of just told us stuff we already knew. Exactly. So we roll into another scene at uh, Brown. Brownlow. It's not that hard of a name. So we move into another scene at Brownlow's house where the folks who were running that workhouse, whose names are escaping me at the moment. Mr. Bumble. Yes, thank you. I can barely remember Brownlow. These are not hard names. These are not hard names. You you know, I'm I'm trying. They're very simple and they fit so well with the characters. (laughs) Like, of course, his name is Mr. Bumble. He's a bumbling bumbling idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it comes out that there's this locket that Bumble and his companion have brought to Mr. Brownlow. Brownlow sees it and is pissed, which I love. Because it was his niece's necklace. Exactly. And so I I do really love that kind of interaction with Bumble at the end where Bumble's like, oh, I hope it doesn't affect my position. And Brownlow's like flat out, I hope it fucking does. (laughs) (laughs) It made me like Brownlow even more than I already did. Because he comes in late, but they do a very nice job of making us like him and trust him. Mm-hmm. It's clear that his, even even when Oliver is not there or his housekeeper isn't there, or it's literally just him and people he couldn't give two fucks about, like, he still stays yeah. on his, like, morals. So in the next sequence, we find that Bill is now exploiting Oliver to try and get into a particular house. Mm-hmm. Nancy... And Bill kind of have a bit of an argument about it, but Bill shuts that down really quick with uh, a gun. So that was great. Yep. That'll um, that'll start, stop that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope our listeners know that I'm being really sarcastic when I say great. Um, I hope the context is there for that. So I'm just going to throw that out so there. I think so at this point. I think we've called <laughs> Bill Sykes like the scum of the earth enough times. Yeah. Okay. You know, I just got to say it again. Yeah. <laughs> So they, Bill does take him to this house. He has to get in, meaning Oliver has to get in through this like tiny screen window in the larder. He's trying to let Bill in. He has to undo this latch that is stuck. And he knocks down a silver plate, causing this whole ruckus and causing the owner of the home to wake up. The shot on this plate, like doing the spiral on the floor went on way too long. I was like, it's already made so much noise. People are already awake. Like, we don't need to wait for it to finish and clatter yeah. to the floor. It could have been edited a little bit. I wanted the clatter at the end, though. That was I a good too, payoff I did too, but it me. did not need to rotate that long. No. But this is the first time I ever see Bill shaken. And I loved that about this scene. Because he's like, oh, let me, let me fuck right off now that you're away. Well, I feel like we've seen him definitely going into a bit of like... um a slide mentally with like Mm -hmm. the fights with Nancy and like Fagan stepping in a little bit. Like he's getting pushed back. And I feel like with Oliver, he feels like suddenly things are out of his control Mm -hmm. and we're seeing him start to become really frazzled by that. And I think this is like one of one of, if not the final straw for him. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's running away. He's the, the owner sends a couple dogs that are like stopped in their tracks by bullseye, which that was an interesting touch. And then the owner fires a gun for some reason, which I was really worried that Bullseye was going to be shot by the owner of the house. No. Bull- that was guys, what I thought guys, was going to happen. Bullseye makes it to the end. Do not worry. Okay, his name is Bullseye. 
He's so he's such a cute puppy. He is. I'm I'm glad that he was not injured. But all the Guess pieces were there. <laughs> Guess who is injured? Wait, who's injured? Oh, I thought Oliver was injured, right? No, I didn't think anybody got shot. Oh, I think that's in the book. I also did read the synopsis of the book, but I oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I think no, I don't think actually anybody does got get hurt. shot in the book, <laughs> not I, fatally. That's an interesting edit for the film. There's I'm like, not sure I like it. There's definitely stuff that they cut for the film, which they needed to for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have cut a little bit more, but um... <laughs> agreed. Agreed. It wasn't. It wasn't like plotting. But, no, it wasn't the most egregious um, non-use of editing that we've seen. But <laughs> some things could have been cut, like the Fagin recap song, the We'll Be Back Soon song, stuff like that. Yeah. So things are kind of rapidly moving toward their climax here. So Nancy, obviously having a change of heart, has gone to Mr. Brownlow's and tried to kind of hash out like hey if you are at the london bridge at this time you will get oliver back the thing about the scene that i find infuriating is how she is still so she will not turn on bill exactly and she just like completely shuts down when it's like okay i'm gonna give you literally nothing more i honestly though i think it's accurate I think the portrayal yeah. is sadly from everything that I have read and understand and like that I understand, which granted is I'm no expert. It's, it seems like an accurate portrayal of Ugh. somebody who's in that situation and is not able to get themselves out. Mm-hmm. It's still just, uh, I, it's, yeah. it's so frustrating because you want so badly for her to be able to get out and be safe because you know, it's mm-hmm. not going to end well. Oh, no, no. Well, in this case, it probably didn't end badly. It ends very badly. For her? She dies. D- did she die? He beat her to death, Ian. But she was still moving. No, she dies. Oh, fuck. Okay, now I'm sad. I read that <laughs> completely wrong. <laughs> no, when the people oh. first get to her, she's still moving. But when you cut back, she's not. Way to go. <laughs> Okay, now I'm, I didn't... Wait, <laughs> way to go. I totally misread that, and I'm now very, very, very sad. Okay. Well, it en- yes, it ends tragically for her and Bill. I'm glad Bill It does not end his. tragically for Bill. It ends exactly as it should for Bill. Well, it should have ended like that tragic. a lot further, a lot earlier on. Agreed. Fagan should have just like, pushed him off the people. stupid like scaffolding. I don't care. Okay, well, let's get through this then. I just got <laughs> sad. <laughs> okay. I hate to break it to you. Fuck. So yeah. in her final act of amazingness, Nancy knows she's got to get Oliver safe. So this is where earlier on we mentioned the tone of the music works effectively to kind of heighten the sinister undertone of the scene. And then we've so, also highlighted songs mm-hmm. that like did not do this well. This yes. scene takes a very upbeat song and uses it to contrast what is going on around it in a really exactly. nice way. So Oliver is in the corner here, guarded by Bullseye. Because Nancy and- Nancy mm-hmm. tries to get him out first and Bill knows something's up. She's like, oh, I'll just take him and go put him to bed. And they're like, no, he stays right there. Yeah. We can tell Bill's losing it. So oh, we're a little scared a of everybody. Everybody can tell that Bill's losing it. 
Um, because the whole time Fagin's talking to him, Fagin, you, there's like a look on Fagin's face. Like, I, I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep. How do I get out? Well, and I wish he probably wishes that he had reconsidered the situation and ran away. But Nancy's trying to like really get this big ruckus partying thing going in the tavern with this room papa song. Well, there's a the build where you hear like oh. the music and some people are singing it and then she starts to sing it and you see her get the idea mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'll create a distraction. Yes. And so you you get these scenes of her in different parts of the bar trying to get different groups to start like partying with her for lack of a better way to put it. And so one scene that I loved was her ripping this kind of game board cloth off the table and then getting up on the table to dance and like try and get people to get with her. Um, and by get with her, I mean like join her in her dance jollity. With her. Exactly. Um, and again, you get some of this like really great choreography with her up on the bar and some more of the women in the bar kind of like twirling past with her around the edge from like a really interesting high angle there. And so ultimately they do snake around and are it's able to- like s- everybody's in there dancing yeah. except for Bill and Fagan who are still at that table and she gets just this giant commotion going and as the group of people like move around the table, she sweeps up Oliver. Mm-hmm. And is leaving, but unfortunately, Bill has to fucking see them walking. I up don't the know walkway. why they didn't go the side entrance. <laughs> There's Me another neither. entrance to that bar that goes out into just like the shitty alleyway, and I'm like, that would have been the play right there, like to get out there, duck around a corner, and mm-hmm. shimmy your way down an alley. So Bill, yeah, he goes after them. I loved the Stravinsky rewrite of where is love in this scene like it was night on bald mountain <laughs> but for where is love so the music where was the, the score was so good here well they took the theme from where is love and you, totally twisted is that the it. name of the song i both i thought that she so. sings the one that um oliver sings in the basement oh that oliver sings okay um so yeah the the score heightened that so much yeah. for me and you yeah I was just going to say, I think this, from like the Oompapa segment to the end, I think is really well done. Yes. Yes. And it moves. Though there, there is one part where I think I kind of wish it had like ended on and then it didn't, mm-hmm. but I understand why it didn't end on that. But like, we'll get there. Oh, yeah. I think we probably have it's probably the same, the same thought. The same um, <laughs> so Nancy and Oliver are running up to the stairs at the bottom of London Bridge. You can see Mr. Brownlow in the background. I know why I'm having his trouble with his name, because I want to call him Brumlow. That's weird, but okay. It's very weird. Anyway, Bill gets there. We know what happens. Maggie told us. Um, I was hoping that I could just talk about it more delicately, but then Ian had no idea what actually happened, and I had to break it to him. And it was traumatic for all of us. Um, it's really awful. It is, you don't see anything, but you hear some stuff and it's, it's pretty brutal and effective. Well, and the thing that kills me is he has carried that weapon around the entire damn film. Yeah. And he scoops up Oliver. Uh, Brownlow has shouted for some police at this point. Like people are after, after them. Bill takes Oliver and kind of like shoves him. And I guess it looks like a drainage ditch, like under a wall or something. Like I don't. Yeah, I, like a, 
He shoves him into a little alcove and then he's like trying to get the dog to go away because they'd already talked about the dog always Mm -hmm. following him. And I was worried that he was also going to go after the dog. And I had a crowbar out. He was like ready. Bullseye gets away. Bullseye gets away and the police see him and somebody recognizes him as the dog that always follows follows around Bill Sykes. So then they just put Bullseye on a leash and get him to track down (laughs) Bill for him, which I love. And I really wish that they had established something that like Bill really loved this dog because it would have been beautifully poetic if you had like the one thing he truly loved lead to his demise because Mm -hmm. um, he was the thing that Nancy truly loved and he led to her demise and it would have served him right. It does serve him right. So he's running away with Oliver. He takes Oliver up to Fagin's place. Fagin's like, why the fuck did you bring him here? <laughs> Fagin's like, everybody out. And they take the back <laughs> <entrance>. <laughs> leave. And all the kids are like, yeah, no, you're right, Pete. That was, that was funny. I do like that Fagin loses all of his jewels in the mud. That felt like a very fitting ending. It was fitting. Is it weird that I was a little sad for him? I mean, I was a little... I was because I understand his well I shouldn't say I understand but I think that I can understand his kind of mentality about like I have to make sure that I have a nest egg that I can rely on if I need it you know what I mean yeah no they I think because Moody played him so well and I feel like they laid out the character so well that I was I was so conflicted I was so like it it had me like kind of conflicted in a way that I did not expect yeah yeah which is good. Again, testament to the yeah. performance. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, anyway, there's also this great chase because this mob has started forming, coming after Bill and Oliver. Hell yeah. And they like, chase them up the scaffolding. And this is why Fagin's stuff falls in, I think, right? Um, is no, he on the Fagin scaffolding trips. when it collapses? They no, never in, trips. The mob never interacts with like Fagin and the, the that makes sense. That street makes sense. urchins. Um, but the scaffolding starts collapsing and it's like sinking into like the gunk and stuff what we know is probably sewage to um fall and uh bill and oliver make it up and like into the building but it's this i Mm -hmm. the way they shot it was so well it was great to see them interacting with that really intricate set in that way i thought it was really good i know why the fagin thing is kind of sad because after he loses the stuff in the gunk that's really really gross it's like gritty looking it's gross oh yeah he puts his hand into it still because he's trying to get it and it's like watching somebody be that desperate is really sad. Yeah, I agree. Oof. But like props props on that performance. Mm-hmm. So back to Bill and Oliver, they've gone into the side building. The mob's going around the front, but they are trapped on this kind of like top floor balcony where this this like crane jut out thing that Bill is trying it to It looks like across. something that would hold like a sign traditionally. Yeah, or I was even thinking like a pulley to hoist things up. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. Um, but he, he tries to get this rope like tied around the post so he can swing across. He enlists Oliver to do it. So Oliver's and, oh. climbing up it. It's it's tense. I mean, like I had a feeling I was like, I think Oliver Twist is one of the Dickens ones that like ends okay for the main characters. I was like, fingers crossed. But it's tense. Oh, I was also like, this movie did get a G rating, so I don't think they're going to kill the kid, but Nancy I'm, died brutally, so I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that it was a uh, 
G rating with that stuff. But anyway, uh, we as a society are much more willing to tolerate violence in our films than we are like sexual content or anything. So I'm not super surprised that that was, I guess, disappointing. Still included is in a G rating. The way I want to put it. <laughs> so Oliver does get it on. Thank goodness. But then there's the really tense stuff where Bill's trying to swing across oh. and we can like see it like pulling on the thing that Oliver's yeah, still, Oliver's so still like clutching that beam. I was so scared it was going to break. Um, what ends up happening is Bill is not able to make the swing across. He's got the rope like tied around his waist and one of the officers shoots in and then he's just swinging back and forth. Apparently in the book, what actually happens is Bill slips and hangs himself, Ooh. which I feel like is better because of the whole thing of how they would hang criminals in Victoria. Like, I feel like that imagery is more appropriate to the time period. And it's definitely a little darker. It's a lot darker. It's a lot darker. But I, but I like the I idea like of, like, better. Bill did this to himself. But again, the... probably couldn't have that in a G-rated musical. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have had as much appeal, I don't think. Nope. <laughs> Not um... really family-friendly at that point. But really, the way this ends is also kind of on a comedic note because Dodger picks a wallet. Yes, Dodger's in the crowd picking a wallet. And then I think it goes to it goes to Fagin, right? Yeah, it goes to this Fagin. Is, is this the bit that you out of the city? Wish yeah, it, it should have fucking on? ended here. <laughs> because Fagin, after all of this, basically he's saying, like, I'm going to go straight. I am not going to steal anymore. Like I'm going to actually like make a good life for myself. Like he seems like all of this has had like a really big impact on him. And Mm -hmm. it's him walking kind of what looks like you said towards out of the city into like the sunset. And then you just have Dodger come out from behind this, like, what was it like a newspaper stand or something? I don't know. I some sort of, it looks almost like a trash can, like a post box. Yeah. Yeah. Dodger, like, coming out from behind it, like, arm on it, like a... What's doing here? Sassy little child. (laughs) Well, and they have a really nice interaction that harkens back to their earlier one. Fagin pretends like he doesn't know him. He's like, who are you? And and you're like, oh, Fagin's serious about this, like, not doing this anymore thing. And that's when Dodger hands him the wallet and says something about the, like, oh, would you like, like, a handcrafted wallet or something? And Fagin asks if it's lined. And he's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's well lined. And then Fagin's looking at the wallet and like he just lost his his retirement plan. So he yep. and Dodger have a little song and dance off to the sunset. And we get the idea that they are just going to keep continue doing running thing. this. Yeah. Which, Which is sad for both of their characters. I mean, yeah. But it also feels like the ending that I would have been okay. Okay. It's a little postmodern. No, I like it. I I do think that if the movie had ended there, I'd be very satisfied because it would have ended with, I think, my two favorite characters. I do really like Nancy, though, but two of my favorite characters and I think potentially the two best performances in the film. Mm-hmm. And we get to see them last. Yeah. But instead, it ends with Oliver running up and hugging the, I guess, head housekeeper. housekeeper. Yeah, which is fine, but like we all knew he was going to end up back there. Like we could have just ended on Fagin and Dodger, and it would have been, I think, a lot more effective. Exactly. Well, and it, it this movie was not about Oliver. No, I agree. I think it was it about is, everybody around him. It's about Oliver. Like Oliver is kind of like our shepherd into this world, and mm-hmm. 
it's about the social commentary during that time period of like the lower classes and like especially its impact on like children mm-hmm. and kind of that like um victorian morality that was like oh you're poor because you're a bad person not like oh you're poor because like you haven't had opportunity or like Mm -hmm. you've just had like really bad luck in life right and i think ending on fagin and dodger is so much more effective to the themes of the movie agreed but alas that is not the ending we get (laughs) never is So, like I said, I actually did enjoy the bulk of this movie more than I was expecting. I enjoyed it more than I was expecting. I liked the end part a lot more. I'd agree. I think really once we hit pick a pocket or two, no, the, um, oh shoot, the you're welcome at home, you're here, ah, make yourself at home. Mm, Consider yourself at home. Consider yourself at home. Thank you. I'm Um, not a huge fan of that song. And I thought it was really, I'm, I'm with at pick a pocket or two was when I became a lot more invested. Hmm. I mean, Hey, it's, but I, I really like pick a pocket. Once it became the Dodger Fagan show, I was very <laughs> invested. Very fair. Um, so I'm putting Oliver at number 23. And so that is after the lost weekend and before a man for all seasons. So, I liked the commentary. Yeah, don't give me that look. I, I am, it's, uh, I don't know where to put it. I feel like you it. should have screenshotted the look I just gave you. Yeah, I really should have. The thing is, I, I liked the commentary in Oliver better than I liked the commentary in A Man for All Seasons. But again, you know how I am about. <laughs> but I like, just didn't, no, it didn't no, 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 no. You liked the commentary that is inherent in Dickens' source material True. more than you liked a man for all seasons musical movie oliver does not quite deliver on it because it has a stupid exclamation mark in its name that carries <laughs> over to the tone of a large portion of the movie but i also enjoyed it more than okay. a man for all seasons okay. i know i know i can i'm uncultured swine it's fine but the lost weekend again still r- reigns for me like the noir aspects to it it dealt with heady themes i think much better than Oliver did hit the right tones in a way that Oliver didn't cool. pretty I mean, middle of the pack for me though mine's not too far off from where you ended up putting yours it's my new number 25 so I'm putting it above around the world in 80 days because Oliver does actually have like some commentary to it and I think it's not just montages of traveling the world <laughs> there there are some things in Oliver that are like a little problematic like we talked about uh Fagin's character mm-hmm. um Around the World in 80 Days was a lot more problematic, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, it was also just like, there were lots of sequences in that that I were like, this this could be trimmed. Yeah. And well, speaking and of, we... like, character, like, the characters in Oliver were generally a lot more layered than the characters in Around the World in 80 Days. Um, I think that, like, motivation was a lot clearer and stuff. So definitely above Around the World in 80 Days. It is after West Side Story. I think the music, the songs in West Side Story are just generally better than Oliver. It is more inventive on cinematography, you know, speaking again about like, while this movie did do some things that I think like you could not do with a stage musical, West Side Mm -hmm. Story almost completely, there's so much stuff in West Side Story that is like taking full advantage of the film medium. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why it would go after West Side Story for me. I agree with you. Again, my list, I'm I'm fighting as much as I can to not just totally give up on my list right now. So We only have one more movie until goodness. we're redoing our list. Because honestly, I've been slotting things like roughly where they're going to be and trying to find like which pair of movies it makes most sense between in my head at yeah, this point. Yeah, well, and I knew for <laughs> sure, because like, again, My Fair Lady is the one that comes most to mind when comparing against this one. I knew for sure it was a lot better mm-hmm. than that. Oh, yeah, it is. For and sure. it is well above my fair lady yeah my fair lady is 37 on my list yeah it's pretty low on mine (laughs) pretty low um but yeah i i think it's worth a watch um i'm gonna say you can skip it if you want listen to some of the songs i feel like you probably get more out of reading the book yeah you're probably right (laughs) but listen to the music while you're reading the book i'm judging that though based on the fact that i've read nicholas nickleby and david copperfield (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so well, uh, don't, I, take that I, with a grain of salt never made it through great expectations <laughs> tried well, multiple times got to the same point every time and was like i can't do this but as a, as a point in your favor i don't i have yet to see a film where i have also read the book that i thought was mind-blowingly better than the book does that make sense i can think of three films off the top of my head that i think are better than the book We'll share with the class. <laughs> I will probably cut this because I feel like some people are going to come for me. I think Gone with the Wind as a movie is better than the book. Um, I think To Kill a Mockingbird is better than the book. That's the one people are going to really come for me on. Mm. And though this one too, probably. I think Princess Bride is better than the book. I haven't read the book on Princess Bride. I have read To Kill a Mockingbird. I need to reread To Kill a Mockingbird and then watch the film like in close succession to really be able to decide. Um, I could see it though. I read it. We had to read it in eighth grade, and I was like already a ninth. huge fan of the movie. I mean, part of part of all three of those may be that I watched the movie first mm-hmm. and then read the book. Um, I think with all of those that the movie adds something that you couldn't do in the book. Mm-hmm. For me, a huge part of it is cinematography. And then with stuff like Gone with the Wind and Princess Bride and To Kill a Mockingbird, though I don't think it says much with To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, they cut B-plots that you mm-hmm. didn't need. It's been... An, it- it's been a while since I've read To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> it's been a while since I have, too. I just remember thinking that. So uh, join us next time. We'll be doing Midnight Cowboy. So we are going from the, is it was did I say first or only G-rated film to win to the only X-rated film to win? Oh. Yes. Um, so oh. join us for that one. <laughs> Um, I now am looking this up because I'm like, what the hell happens that it's X rated? (laughs) That's going to be an interesting recording for us. And in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also write us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Hear your thoughts on Oliver. Hear your thoughts on any of the other movies we've done. Also, um, if you have any other movies that you would like to hear us cover at some point, let us know because we definitely do like special episodes on non-Best Picture winning movies and we are always looking for good suggestions. Uh, And rate, subscribe, review, especially rate and review. That helps us out. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And as Maggie said, join us next time for Midnight Cowboy.